Okay, so our plan today is, hopefully, we're going to try to cover three subjects, and they are conveniently named Anna, Joanna, and Samaritana. And I'll explain why I call her Samaritana. And then if you noticed, we had beautiful piano music by Deanna on the piano. Deanna, where are you? Right there. Deanna on the, I was so excited because her name really is Deanna and she plays the piano and I thought, oh, this is perfect. So then if you noticed on the flyer I sent out, I had teacher Catherine Anna because my middle name is Anne. So I just went, you know, a little step further. How many of you are named Anne, Anna, Joanne, or something? See, oh, that is a lot. Or a middle name. Middle name, too? Okay. Well, it is a beautiful name. You know what it means? Grace in Hebrew. So what our plan is, is we're going to discuss Anna in our first session, and then you're going to get to eat. I don't get to eat, but I'll have a daughter that will fix me a plate to eat later. And while you're eating, let's just start with the meal, okay? While you're eating your meal, I'm going to give a short lesson on Joanna, because there's not a whole lot on her, but, you know, I can get quite a bit out of a little bit. And so we'll discuss Joanna while you're eating, then we'll have a little break and you can go get your dessert, and then I'll teach on Samaritana, okay? And I hope by then you're just not all fatigued, but um, I am going to be speaking on Saturday at Village Chapel in Pinehurst, and if you think you're going to be fatigued, guess what? They're going to start at 8.30 and go till 2.30, and I'm thinking, how am I going to keep those women entertained that long? <laughs> But uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's a great bunch of ladies over there. All right, it is interesting. I guess you have your Bibles, right? This is a Bible study. So uh, if you would open up to Luke chapter 2, um, that's where we'll be parked. It's interesting to realize that in the gospel accounts of Christ's earthly life, his earthly ministry, there was never a recorded event regarding a female enemy of his, nor was he ever in any way an enemy of womanhood. By either his attitude toward women, his behavior, his teachings, and of course his sacrificial death, which was equally for all people, right? Men, women, children, everybody. He recognized the dignity of women. He recognized their gifts, their talents, their desires, as we will see in our discussion of three women whose lives were changed because they put their faith in him. He did more, the Lord Jesus did more than any other person to dignify and elevate women. And why wouldn't he? Who created women? He did. Now, even though there was not a woman among his apostles, it was to a young woman that the news of his miraculous conception was first announced, as it was also from her virgin womb that he came forth as the God-man. The first female to proclaim his coming, his arrival in Jerusalem, was not young, 
like Mary, now Mary was probably a teenager, you know, 14, 15 years old, but the one to first proclaim his arrival in Jerusalem was very old, very old, and her name was Anna. I guarantee you there's no one in this room as old as Anna. <laughs> we'll tell you how old she was. And then interestingly, it was to a woman that Jesus himself first revealed his identity as the Christ. And she was probably middle-aged. She was not Jewish. She was a Samaritan who the Jews despised. I mean, they really despised the Samaritans. They called them dogs. They looked down on Samaritans more than they did Gentiles, which was bad enough, because Samaritans were half-breeds, you know, half-Jewish, half a Gentile. But Jesus saw people with compassion, not with prejudices, and he saw in all people their need for, for his salvation, to be free from their bondage to sin. He died for all, didn't he, equally. He's no respecter of persons. It was essentially an unwritten law in first century Israel that Jewish men did not publicly speak to women. Isn't that something? However, throughout his three and a half year earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus not only spoke to women in public settings, but he repeatedly commended them for their faith and for their spiritual insight. Women such as the Syrophoenician woman, who he, the only woman, and she wasn't Jewish, the only woman he ever commended for having great faith. And the woman with the 12-year issue of blood, and the poor widow who gave all she had, her two mites, and Mary of Bethany, who seemed to understand him and his mission better than any man prior to his resurrection. Why is that? Why did she have so much insight? Because she was always at his feet, right? Listening. He stood in defense of women, such as the repentant prostitute who wiped his feet with her tears and her hair, and the adulteress who was brought to him to be stoned. And he stood up and he defended Mary of Bethany against the criticism not only of her sister, but of Judas for wasting her spikenard perfume. His only recorded words spoken to anyone between the time he was sentenced to die and when he was nailed to the cross, his only spoken words were to some women, some wailing daughters of Jerusalem. He warned them of dangers to come because he had compassion on them. And then his very last concern before he dismissed his soul was with regard to a woman, and who was she? Mary, his earthly mother, Mary. It was to, um, to women that the good news of his resurrection was first announced by angelic messengers. Remember on our resurrection study last time? To women, not to the men. He announced, the, the angels announced the, well, that's because they were the first out there to the tomb. And so they heard the good news. He's not here. He has risen as he said. In fact, what was his first, oops, I guess that was the one I was supposed to be on. 
Do you notice how I learned to transition? I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> Natalie got, sent me a video. You can learn almost anything on videos, and she taught me how to transition. Wait till you see some of them. They're really cool. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, his first, his first post-resurrection word was what? Woman. Sorry, guys. Yeah, there's a couple guys in here. But it was, woman, why weepest thou? He spoke that to Mary Magdalene. I got to thinking, what do you think the first word he ever spoke was? As a baby, mama, probably mama, mommy, you know, and his last word, woman. All right, there are some 200 named women in the scripture, and there are equally that many unnamed women in the scripture uh, and out of that many, we're going to only look at three. Of course, we couldn't possibly cover 400 women in one session, or we'd be here till the rapture, right? Anna, the prophetess widow, the patient prophetess widow. We're going to discuss her. Then Joanna, the prosperous witness. And Samaritana, the promiscuous well woman. Um, I call her, I, I'm going to tell you this in our lesson on her, but I call her Samaritana because we don't know her name. She's one of those 200 unnamed, but she was a Samaritan and definitely God's grace changed her life, right? So I think it's perfect to call her Samaritana because that's Samaritan and grace. <laughs> Plus it rhymed with Anna and Joanna. <laughs> and I thought about doing Susanna. <laughs> And then we're going to discuss, um, uh, oh, I said them, all three. Okay, Anna, the prophetess widow, Joanna, the prosperous witness, and Samaritana, the promiscuous well woman. Now, Anna was a poor Jewish widow, and she pictures, this is really interesting, if you can see the bottom and think about this, but I don't have time to develop it too much. I'll talk about it a little later. But she pictures the anticipation and the expectation of Old Testament believers regarding the coming Christ. How were you a believer in the Old Testament? Well, you believed in the true God, Yahweh, and you believed in his promise of the coming seed of the woman, the promised Savior who would crush the serpent's head. That's how you believed. And if you were an Old Testament saint like Anna, you anticipated, you looked forward to the coming of this Messiah. She represents um, that. So like her, like her, the Old Testament was very, very old. How old was Anna? Well, we're going to find out. She was about 105. The Old Testament, like Anna, was in its last days about to transition to the New Testament, the New Covenant, which is exactly what Anna did. She was an Old Testament saint when she saw baby Jesus. What happened? She transitioned and became a New Testament saint. So that's all really cool. Well, Joanna was a wealthy married. Of course, Anna was a widow. Joanna was married, and she was also Jewish. She was sick in some way. We don't know if it was a physical sickness or if it was demonic possession like Mary Magdalene. We don't know. It doesn't say. But she was sick. Jesus healed her. She pictures those Jewish people who were saved in Israel during Christ's earthly ministry. So she pictures New Testament Israel. 
during his ministry, his earthly ministry. And then we have the Samaritan woman at the well who was also sick <laughs> in a different way, not physically, but she was immorally sick and in need of Christ's healing touch, as we all are. And she pictures the church. The church, you see, just like her, is part Jewish and part Gentile. Three very different women from three very different backgrounds, but they all met Jesus face to face and were forever changed. Also, Jesus privileged each one of these women to be first proclaimers of very important truths regarding him and his gospel message of redemption for all people. Now, there are only three verses on Anna, only three in the scripture, and they're found here in Luke chapter 2, But uh, and I, I trust you'll be blessed by what we can pull out of just three verses, but um, before we read those three verses, I want to set the context, which is very important, so I'm going to back up and I'm going to start reading at what took place right before Anna arrived on the scene. So look with me at Luke 2, starting at verse 22. And when the days of her purification, that would be Mary, the mother of Jesus, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him, Jesus, baby Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that openeth a womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's that? What, what was he waiting for? The Redeemer, the Savior. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. He went to the temple that day. Why? Because the Spirit led him there. And when the parents, that would be Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he, that would be Simeon, him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. All right, that's the setting, and now let's jump down to verse 36. Here is where Anna comes in. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, or Asher. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which is 84 years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. The first thing that Luke, Luke tells us is that Anna was what? A prophetess, a prophetess. I don't know why I don't have that on that slide, but she would, oh, here, maybe it's the next one. There she is. And you'll notice Anna keeps changing her looks. <laughs> she was a prophetess. You know, she is the only named prophetess in the New Testament. The only one. 
Now there are four female named prophetesses of God in the Old Testament. Does anybody know who they were? Or you want to guess on one of them? Four named prophetesses in the Old Testament. Yes. Got one. Mm, that lady right there should know one. Miriam, I'm pointing to you. Huh? Your namesake was a prophetess. Who did you say? No. She was a queen. You don't get to be a prophetess and a queen, you know. Um, you probably won't know, but Isaiah's wife. <laughs> Weird. Um, and Hulda. I don't even know who she is. Oh, so, so you know what that makes Anna? If there's four in the Old Testament and she's the only named one in the New Testament, that makes her the fifth and final named prophetess in all of Scripture. And that, again, is very interesting because what is five in the Bible? What does five symbolize in the Bible? Grace. <laughs> yes, there you go. And what is her name? Anna, which is the same as Hannah. I forgot to ask if your names were Hannah because that goes in with it too. Hannah and Anna are the same name. Who was Hannah in the Old Testament? Samuel's mother. And it's interesting because she gave her son, Samuel, to full-time service to the Lord. And the other, Anna, had no son. She had no children, so she had no son. She couldn't give her son to full-time service, so what did she do? She gave herself to full-time service. We could literally call Anna Prophetess Grace. That's her name, Prophetess Grace. To be designated in the Bible, the Word of God, as a prophetess is in itself enough to make this woman worthy of our study, wouldn't you say? That title provides us with a lot of insight into her character and into her conversation, her what she communicated as she lived most of her life where? In the temple. That's in verse 37. To be a prophetess meant that she spoke forth. She proclaimed the truth of God from the word of God. And at that time, it was from the Old Testament. There was no New Testament yet. She evidently spent her life hiding God's word where? Where we should hide it, in her heart. We are also told that she was the daughter of, oh, there's the departed not from the temple. And by the way, in the Greek that Luke wrote, it meant departed not. She stayed there day and night. She didn't even run down to Walmart. She just was constantly in the temple. All right, so the next thing it tells us is that she was the daughter of Phanuel. Now, there are probably two reasons why she is associated with her father rather than her deceased husband. We don't even know her deceased husband's name, anything about him. What would be those two reasons? Well, because her husband died after only seven years of marriage and left her with no children. And her father probably outlived her husband. Another reason she's identified with Faneuil, Fanuel is because of the significance of her father's name. You know, if you've been in this Bible study long enough, you know names are important, numbers are important, right? Well, her father's name is significant, and as is her tribe, Asher. Fanuel is the Greek version. And remember, Luke was a Greek uh, physician, and he wrote in Greek. Of course, the whole New Testament is in Greek. 
but it's the Greek vi version of the Hebrew word peniel. And peniel means the face of God. It was the name that Jacob gave to the place of his all-night wrestling match with the pre-incarnate Christ. Why did he name that place Peniel? Because he recognized, he realized that he had seen what? The face of God. So he named that place face of God Peniel. That's the same as Phanuel in Greek. So Anna is identified with her father, Phanuel, not her deceased husband, because like J Jacob, she was privileged to see the face of God. Literally, right? When she beheld the Christ child in Simeon's arms. Now another fact about Anna, look at that one. Isn't that cool? It falls backwards. <laughs> another fact about Anna is that she was of the tribe of Asher one of the ten tribes of Israel that were carried off by the Assyrians in 721 and often wrongly referred to as what? The ten lost tribes. <laughs> they weren't lost. It's frequently assumed that the descendants of ten of Jacob's sons were absorbed, amalgamated into the Gentile nations when Assyria came down and then took them off and that those ten tribes are gone, lost. Uh, that's why they're called the ten lost tribes, um, wrongly. But the record of Phanuel and Anna's tri tribal lineage being Asher proves otherwise. This is interesting. She is the only one in the New Testament who has her tribal, she's one of very few who even has her tribal lineage mentioned and the other people are very important, like Jesus and John the Baptist and Paul and, you know, a few very important. So she's in good company there. But she is the only one whose tribal lineage is mentioned from one of the supposedly ten lost tribes. You see, what happened is before the Assyrians invaded the northern province of Israel, which was called Israel. It's confusing, but they're two provinces, you know, Israel and Judea, uh, Judah, Judea. Before they invaded Israel, um, a lot of the godly people from those ten tribes had trickled down into Judah because they didn't want to have anything to do with the, the Israel had gone completely idolatrous. And they didn't want to worship up there in the, in the city of Dan, and they didn't want to worship all the false gods, so they trickled down into Judah and worshipped in Jerusalem. So she comes from good stock, you see? from the remnant. God always has his remnant, doesn't he? And how do we know, how's another way we know the ten tribes weren't lost? What does it tell us in Revelation 7? In the end days, there's going to be 12,000 from each tribe. What tribe are you from? You don't know, do you? She's Jewish, but she doesn't know. Most Jews do not know. But who does know? God knows. He hasn't lost track of all the tribes. And there's going to be 12,000 from each one of the tribes, and they'll be sealed in the last days in the book of Revelation. So they're not gone. Don't believe people who say the ten lost tribes are gone. All right, so God providentially had prepared Anna through her tribal heritage, through her personal tragedy in becoming a widow after only seven years, her temple life, and her personal testimony 
of devotion. He had prepared her all along for that moment when she was brought face to face with his son. Can you imagine that? Looking into the face of the eternal son of God. It was the happiest highlight of her life. It's why we find her recorded for us in scripture. We wouldn't know about her otherwise. And it's the, the reason I'm bringing this up about how happy she was at that moment is because what does the name Asher mean? Here you go, I'll tell you. Look at that. <laughs> what does Asher mean? Happy. Isn't that a great name? Anybody here named Asher? Ashley? My I have a grandson named Asher. And you have what, a son? Are they happy? Yes, and my little Caleb is happy. He's a happy little dude. That's a good name. Think of that, you know, when you're going to have any more children uh, or have some to begin with. But I love that name, and you don't really hear it that often. Most people would not describe Anna's life as one of much happiness, would they? Not really. You know, married seven years, and she becomes a widow, probably only 21 years old, 20 or 21 when she was widowed, didn't have any children, um, poor. She had to live in the temple. She was poor. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I believe, I'm going to get like Terry. <laughs> I believe her life of serving God and his people was one of great joy, one of the greatest lives you could live. The temple was the center of life in Jerusalem. It was where children were dedicated to the Lord. It was where people went to worship. It was where you prayed to God, or of course you could pray to him anywhere, but um, it's where the people gathered together in the millions to celebrate the feast days. Uh, it's where they found refuge from problems. It was the focal point of the whole community, and Anna made it the focal point of her life and her ministry for 84 years. Can you imagine? For 84 years, that's eight, over eight decades, she lived there. They had little apartments, and obviously they gave her a little apartment to live in, which speaks a lot for her and her character that they would do that. Um, but she tended to the needs of many, many people over 84 years. She was a fixture in the place. People knew that when they visited the temple, happy Anna would be on hand to greet them and to hug their children and to pray with their women and to teach them and to share with them uh, how to overcome life's trials without bitterness, but with betterness. And she did so by her continual expectation of the coming Savior. What kept her going? She was anticipating the arrival. Many in Jerusalem at that time were anticipating the soon arrival of the Messiah. There's just something in the atmosphere, like I think there is today, that the Lord is coming soon. Of Anna, we could truly, truly say that her supposedly sad life ended happily ever after. You think she's happy today? In heaven, of course she is. So the time setting of Anna's appearance in scripture was in the very early days of Jesus' life. He was only, how old? Anybody know? No, nope, that was circumcision. 
when the mother would take the child, uh, she was basically getting purified herself after having a, a child. If you had a son, you had to wait 40 days and offer the sacrifice to be purified and cleansed. If you had a daughter, you had to wait 80 days. I go figure that one out. <laughs> so, um, so this was this was really for Mary, and so Jesus was 40 days old. They took him to the temple. This is his first time in the temple to present the purification offering for Mary after giving birth to a son, her firstborn son. It's in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 2 to 8, that it says um, to be purified after giving birth, you were to sacrifice a lamb. However, if you were too poor and couldn't afford a lamb, you could substitute two turtle doves or two pigeons, which is why that you see Joseph there carrying two something or other. Um, now, although Mary and Joseph were poor and they did not bring a lamb offering, <laughs> the fact is, what? They actually did. They brought the most precious lamb offering ever to the temple. They brought the true Passover lamb on his first earthly visit to the temple. An interesting footnote, and I can't, this is why lessons take me so long. I find these things and I say, include this? I've got to include this. Forty days after the bodily birth of the God-man, I think we need to turn our cell phones off, okay? Everybody make sure you're on vibrate. All right, at 40 days after his physical birth, the God-man entered the earthly temple. 40 days after his bodily resurrection, the God-man ascended into where? The heavenly temple. Oh, that's so cool. The Lord God provided two godly witnesses to the truth that the child in Mary's arms that day uh, in the temple in Jerusalem for the first time was the long-awaited Savior. Why did God provide two witnesses? It says in the Old Testament and New Testament, 2 Corinthians 13, 1, in the mouth of two witnesses, a truth is established. One of God's provided Witnesses, remember, how, was, how did he enter the temple? He was led by the Spirit. The Spirit led him to the temple that day, that precise time. His, his name was Simeon. So one witness was a man, one was a woman, and who was she? She was Anna. Both believed in God, both believed in his promised Savior, and both had been praying and looking for his arrival for a long, long time. Because they were both very acquainted with Old Testament messianic prophecies. You know what that means? Prophecies in the Old Testament that told about what the Messiah was going to be like, how to expect him, where he'd be born, all that sort of stuff. They both were familiar with the scripture. I think Anna, because women weren't really allowed to study the scripture, but I think maybe Phanuel, her father, taught her scripture, or maybe she just was in the temple so long she heard a lot of teaching. But anyway, they, they knew that the best place to look for his appearing, they're anticipating any day, you know, I think the Messiah is going to be here pretty soon. Simeon especially, because he was told he wouldn't die until he saw him. So the best place to look for the coming of the Messiah was where? In the temple. How did they know that? Well, what does it tell us in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 5? 
it says when he comes, he will come suddenly to his temple. So there they are waiting for him to come suddenly. Now, I don't know that they knew he was going to come as a baby, but you know what? Once he started his earthly ministry, he did just exactly that, didn't he? I don't know if this is the next picture or not. No. Somewhere along here I have a picture of when he cleansed the temple. Nobody had ever heard of Jesus of Nazareth until that day in chapter 2 of John. He arrived suddenly in the temple, and what did he do? He cleansed it. That was, that was another prophecy fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3. So they know the best place to anticipate to watch for him is in the temple. They were Old Testament saints. They were believers in Yahweh and his promised Savior. And like them, as I said earlier, the Old Testament itself was in its old age. Simeon and Anna not only served as God's witnesses to his son's identity, but they represented the transition from the Old Testament covenant to the New Testament covenant, which was represented in a little 40-day-year-old baby. Isn't that perfect? Now, he could have gotten younger witnesses, couldn't he? But he purposely got very, they say Simeon was 113, <laughs> and Anna was 105 thereabout. So they represent the Old Testament transitioning to the New Testament. Of course, the New Testament is represented by Jesus. He is the New Testament. Now, something else interesting is that Simeon means here. That's what, it's the same like Ishmael. It means here, here. Um, his name means here. And what does her name mean? Grace. So faith comes by hearing, and by hearing what? The word of God. Anna means grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself, but it's a gift of God. To, to have faith in who Jesus is, a person needs both to hear the truth about him and by God's grace to, to believe it. There you go, representing those two names. The Holy Spirit at some time, we don't know when, had revealed to Simeon who heard, you know, you have to be still to hear. He was still and he heard the Holy Spirit whisper to him somehow that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ, his Savior. As I said, tradition says, can't be dogmatic, but tradition says he was 113 years old when he finally, finally beheld the infant in Mary's arms and the Spirit, again, it was the Spirit at work, the Spirit immediately gave him knowledge that that baby in that woman's arms was the Christ, the Savior. How did that work? I don't know. How did John in his mother's womb know when Mary walked in and in her womb was Jesus and he jumped in her womb? That's the work of the Spirit, right? So it was the Spirit totally. Simeon saw the baby and he knew. He instantly knew it was the Savior. Well, Mary, also probably led by the Spirit, noticed the intense look on this old guy's face. And um, she, and you know, this was something to do. Most women wouldn't do this, but she just handed her baby over to Simeon, who then took him up in his arms, and what did he do? He blessed God. I love that painting. I just think that is so precious. He blessed God, and right there, ladies, right there, we have a beautiful example of the working of the Holy Trinity. Simeon was led by 
God the Holy Spirit, to know God the Son, which caused him to praise God the Father. Simeon then prayed. I had, do you see that airplane? That was because he would depart. He was going to depart. <laughs> Simeon prayed, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. Those are words that are spoken by a man who is not at all afraid of the grave, is he? In fact, what does he want? He wants out of here, okay? I've seen him. Now let me go in peace. <laughs> he actually wanted to, you know, and that's how it can be for us. And as I get older and older, there is a part of you that starts to really long for departing. Of course, I'd like to go with that little paper airplane, you know, <laughs> just up and away and gone. But um, that's how it can be for us if we know the Savior. We don't have, there's, you know, no fear of death. Absent with, from the body and present with the Lord. Well, after Simeon spoke then, he spoke some prophetic words uh, about Gentiles also being among those who Jesus would save. And then he gave a strange, strange message to Mary about her soul being pierced also. Also? Who else was going to be pierced? Her son. And of course, she pondered about those words. But after that, after he says those things, then Anna enters onto the scene. She comes into the narrative. She is God's second witness as to the identity of his son during his first visit to the temple. Anna, as we mentioned, was a woman who suffered some serious disappointments in her younger years. For one, she became a widow at a very early age. They tended to, uh, the Jewish parents generally tended to marry off their daughter somewhere between 13 and 15 years of age. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I've got some granddaughters that age and I can't even begin to think about giving them away in marriage. Anna was only married how many years? Before her husband died. And uh, so she, if she was 14, let's say, well, I'll go between 13 and 15, let's say roughly 14 when she married, and then she was a widow for 84 years, four score and four, she was about 105 years old. Another disappointment for her was what? That she had no children. Now, I don't know if it was because she was barren or maybe her husband was sickly and maybe it was his doing, I don't know, but for whatever reason, she had no children. And uh, she lived in a day and in a culture when that was extremely difficult. It was extremely difficult for widows. Uh, they had no means of support other than their children or charity. So she lived in the temple, which indicates that she had no home of her own. So we know this woman lived a very frugal, a very chaste, and a very sober life. And it was not just her personal uh, situation that was harsh on her. Think of this. I went back and did some math. She would have been in her 40s when Rome captured Jerusalem under General Pompey. Then she lived under the extremely harsh and cruel reign of Herod the Great from her 60s, when she was in her 60s, all the way until, you know, Jesus came and she saw him. 
She lived under him. He's the one who did the slaughter of the innocents, just an awful person. So she knew both the oppression of living under Roman occupation and the disappointment of living with great corruption taking place in the Jewish religious establishment. If she was in the temple all the time, what did she see going on? Them profiting off of the money changers and the animals, you know, all the, all the corruption of the Pharisees and all that. She saw all that. But, just as you and I need to do today, she chose to focus not on all the corruption and all the bad news, the harsh, awful stuff that's going on in our world today, not just our country and the whole world. She didn't focus on that. What did she focus on? She focused on God, who uses, God uses, he's sovereign, even the evil of men to accomplish his will, doesn't he? And his eternal purposes. Her focus was on waiting for his Savior for him to fulfill, for God to fulfill his promise and send the Savior. When Anna was widowed at about 21 years of age and seemingly barren, which would cause people to say she was cursed, that's how kind they were, <laughs> uh, she would have taken, she could have taken her life in a totally different direction, and we would never have heard of her. She could have sulked, she could have taken out her anger on God and turned from him. She could have turned to prostitution. She could have found herself a Gentile husband uh, or become someone's mistress. I say that because a Jewish man probably wouldn't have married her because she, they would think she was barren and that she was cursed. Or she could have fallen into deep depression or unending self-pity, bitterness, excessive drink, some other form of escape mechanism from reality. But instead, <laughs> she shows up in God's word, and this is so cool, as the seventh and final named Israelite witness included in what we call the Christmas story. Who are they? The Christmas account of Jesus. They are Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, <laughs> Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and who's the seventh and final one? Anna. So she's not only affiliated with the number five in grace, she's affiliated with the number seven, which is perfection. From merely the three verses about this woman, we have many clues, don't we? about her character. I had a lady say, um, I don't really think you should teach on Anna because there's only three verses. She, she saw baby Jesus, she um, went and told people, and then she died. And I said, oh, you don't know me very well. <laughs> we have many clues about her from these three verses. Because she is described as a woman who fasted often, we can guess that she was thin. <laughs> she was physically able to move around, wasn't she? That's just in itself an accomplishment when you're 105 years old. Uh, so she was thin. She could move. She, you know, wasn't in a wheelchair or anything. Um, she was probably white-headed and wrinkled. 
but her advanced age gave her social standing in her community as an elder. She was looked up to. People loved her. The fact that she was just even allowed to live in the temple speaks volumes about her. She was a worshiping, workaholic widow. <laughs> and her faithfulness was greatly rewarded because she heard and she saw what no one else in the temple that day saw and heard. I mean, we're talking about on a daily basis, thousands of people in the temple. She saw what the rabbis didn't see. She saw what the Sadducees didn't see. She saw what the chief priests didn't see. She saw what the Pharisees didn't see, right? She was privileged to see and recognize and know her Savior. She heard Simeon's statement about the child in his arm, arms. And uh, Luke 2.38 says, And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. This was a work of God's grace, wasn't it? And his providence. He orchestrated this divine appointment. This is an example of his perfect timing. Suddenly, in that instant, everything that she had been praying and fasting and waiting for, all those years, all those decades, suddenly, in that instant, <laughs> he was in Simeon's uplifted arms. She was, by God's sovereign grace, in the right place, <laughs> precisely at the right time, so that she heard Simeon, led by the Spirit, identify the Christ child in his arms. You know, I don't think most people realize how massive Herod's temple was. It was huge, a huge complex. It consisted of many courtyards. There was a courtyard for the Gentiles, for the women, for the men, for the priests, and then there was a tabernacle proper, the temple proper. It covered some 35 acres of land. It was massive. And as I said, thousands of people literally on any given day uh, visited the temple. On feast days, there were millions there. So this, for her to be in that what, wherever Simeon was, in that one little piece of property at the exact same time that he is saying, you know, who, it, who the child is, that is no coincidence, is it? There are no, I don't like good luck. I don't like, you know whatever else you say, because there are no coincidences with God. Um, for her or for Simeon, they were both exactly where God wanted them to be. So never, ever give up, ladies. Never, ever give up praying. I mean, she spent years of waiting and praying and fasting for something, and it was answered what? In an instant, in one instant. And it was answered exceeding abundantly above all she could have ever thought to ask. That she would, you know, she might have thought, well, maybe I'll hear about him, that he's here. Um, but she got to see him face to face, flesh and blood as a baby. She was a woman full of hope and purpose in her life. And it all centered on the one whose name she did not know until that day in the temple. Without faith in the promised Savior, 
her life would have been a very sad, tragic, lonely life without hope. Can you imagine your life without the hope of Jesus and eternity with him in heaven? I don't even want to go there. <laughs> uh, her life would have been without hope, without joy, peace, in spite of circumstances which she had, without purpose. But, but Anna did not look back on her trials with bitterness or regret. She looked forward with hope. Just think of all the wasted time and energy people expend on looking back and saying, what if, what if, or, or being bitter instead of better, or even being regretful instead of repentant. Obviously, I know, I know, I very well know, as all of you do, if you're any age at all, that grief is a very real part of our lives. But when we allow it to dominate our lives, it only grief, excessive grief, only adds to our heartaches and our tragedies. If grief defines you, then you're forfeiting, and this is what happened to David, remember? He had to be reprimanded. He was grieving. He wouldn't get over the grief of the loss of his baby boy and he had to be reprimanded about it get on you've got you know your God has a purpose for you You need to serve him until he calls you home and then you'll see that child again it wasn't that wonderful you can go to him he's not going to come back to you but you're, you can go to him when grief um, defines us we forfeit the opportunity to live again Anna had every reason to grieve to have self-pity, to feel hopeless and useless. But Luke's short biographical account of her reveals that she was humble, she was happy, and she was holy. Why? Because she was also a prayer warrior. And through prayer, she gained a lot of spiritual insight that many others failed to grasp. I'm sure she was very familiar with Jeremiah 33, 3, which says what? Call unto me, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Well, she did see something great and mighty. The greatest and mightiest thing of all when she saw God in the likeness of man. God incarnate. Now think about that. Would that be pretty hard to look at the face of a 40-day-old baby and say this is God? That has to be of the Spirit. Like the Bethlehem shepherds, Anna was an evangelist because her first response after seeing Jesus and hearing who he was, was to do what? Run out and tell others in Jerusalem who were also faithfully waiting for the arrival of their Messiah. She knew who they were. She knew who to go to. Why? How did she know who to go to and tell the Messiah's here? I saw him. Simeon confirmed it. How did she know who to go to? Because those are the people she had fellowshiped with for years. That select remnant of believers would be thrilled to hear the message of their beloved prophetess that the Christ, even though a baby, which they didn't expect, had finally come. She was the first woman to proclaim the good news of Christ's arrival. 
Anna's story teaches us many, many things, such as believing in the sovereignty of God. She overcame the trials. There she is, happy. <laughs> um, and the sorrows of her life by realizing that God, for whatever reason, and God has his reasons, but for whatever reason, he had taken her husband and he had given her no children. We don't ever see her blaming God for taking her husband. We don't see her begging him for another one. We don't see her bemoaning her lack of children or a lack of a home. I don't even think she had a puppy. She, she accepted things as God's will, and she went on. This was God's will for her, and so she went on. Without a husband and without children, huh, she could totally devote herself to the Lord. She didn't have to get up and fix him breakfast, did she? Packed lunches. <laughs> so she did that. She totally dedicated herself to the Lord. And his life also teaches us that God delights in using people the world thinks are of no consequence. People the world looks as, at as nobodies. Anna was probably not seen as terribly important by most people of her day. Most people looked at her and thought she was cursed. Nor were poor Mary and Joseph looked upon as somebodies, or the Bethlehem shepherds, or a bunch of Galilean fishermen, or for that matter, a carpenter from despicable Nazareth who became an itinerant preacher. So we learn that God uses the nobodies, doesn't he? He delights in doing that because then he gets all the glory. Also from Anna and from Simeon, we learn that age is no consequence to God. He can use any of us at any age. Anybody in here reached 105 yet? You feel like it maybe? <laughs> so don't count yourself out just because either you're too young. Remember Timothy thought maybe he was too young. Don't count yourself out if, if you think you're too young or you're too old. You know, I love the fact that tucked in this Christmas story, God used an insignificant to the world, teenaged young woman named Mary uh, to mother his son, and then he used a 105-year-old widow to spread the news of his son's arrival. Age is not an indicator of how or when God, God might use you. I mean, when did Moses really start? How old was Moses? 80! And when did Abraham finally get, you know, on the right track to the promised land? 75. So I haven't even begun then if you go by that. Uh, so age is not an indicator at all. If you're young, resolve today to follow him wholeheartedly. You see, Anna made that decision as a young woman. She wasn't always old. I tell my grandchildren, I wasn't always old. I look at a picture and they say, is that you, Grandma? Yeah, I once had dark hair and I was young. <laughs> she was a godly elderly woman because she had been a godly younger woman. 
So if you want your winter years to be blessed, you need to stick to the straight and narrow in the spring of your life. You need to, what Daniel, did you like that? I like that. First and last time teenage boys ever refused food. <laughs> when Daniel <laughs> and his three friends purposed in their hearts that they would not defile themselves with the king's rich meat, you know, and his wine and all that. They were only about 14 years old when they did that, when they purposed in their heart. Make it your goal in your life, starting today, to be a life of dedication to the Lord. If you are breathing, even if your foot is on a pink bucket and you're still breathing, God is not through with you, is he? You're here for a reason. Anna made her greatest contribution at her weakest condition. We persevere by doing what we can, where we can, and while we can, and with what we have. At her age, of course, there were some things she could no longer do that she once did, but she kept on serving as she was able. And in this, she, challenge us, she challenges us to stop making excuses about how we can't serve the Lord anymore. And instead, you know, what we need to be doing is making the most of the opportunities and resources we do have. If you were able to get here this morning, you can still do a lot for the Lord. For one thing, you can intercede in prayer for people. Anna was a woman who graced the temple with her presence and I believe she had a spiritual glow on her wrinkled face. I can picture, as I think back, <laughs> on, uh, I had so much fun Googling all these pictures. I, I had like a hundred I wanted to put up there, and I wanted pictures of some of you to put up there. Um, but I can picture so many saintly women that I have met, mostly through this Bible study, in my life, who just glow, their countenance just glows with the love they have for the Lord. I think it's some that sat right here. Oh, just precious, precious. So many have gone on to be with the Lord. But right, Terry, don't you think of so many women? I won't start naming because I won't ever finish. But um, they've been, they were faithful. They loved the Lord. Uh, you know, he also, I forgot to say this, he also honors women by calling the church, what? Her, his bride. Anna was a witness for the Lord even when she wasn't speaking. You can be a witness without having to be a big mouth like me. Right? A, a, be it like a woman who's a fixture in the church. Every time you open the door, there they are. There she is sitting there putrefying in her pew. <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> uh, but there are people that you just, they're a testimony to you just by their presence in God's house and by their amens or whatever, you know what I'm saying? She didn't, she didn't have to, she did speak because she's called a prophetess, but she helps us imagine what it would look like it, for us, if we had to rely solely, solely on our maker, you know, and that's what she did, her daily bread, she, everything, she relied totally on him. He was her husband, wasn't he? Is there or has there been an Anna figure in your life? I'm sure like me, you have many. Well, the next lesson that Anna teaches us is to be consistent. 
God's choicest blessings come to those who are faithful, steadfast, dedicated, consistent. Both Simeon and Anna, both of them experience the highlight of their lives in their old age. Though they're both over 100, they had not retired from serving the Lord. They had not grown weary in well-doing. What if they had? What if Simeon said, oh, my back hurts too much. I am not going to the temple spirit. I know you're trying to get me there, but I'm not going today. He would have missed it. What if Anna just finally said, uh, I'm not going to get out of bed today. She would have missed it. Anna's consistency in serving the Lord is what she's known for. So much so that it is included in the only few verses we have about her in scripture. You will be known for what you did in your life consistently. If those who know you best were to get together and write three sentences, that's all we have about her, Anna. If, if those who, this could be scary, but if they got together to write three sentences, you know, you always think of your obituary, what's it going to say? Um, that summarize your life, what would they say? I hope mine wouldn't say what it said about Martha. She was anxious and troubled about many things. <laughs> they will say, they will write the things that stand out the most about you because they are the constants in your life. Yeah, she was always so cranky and complaining. Is that what you want them to write? Or something more like, oh, she was so consistent in her love for the Lord, and she just glowed with her love for him. Think about that. Everyone loves a consistent person because he or she is someone you can depend on. If you needed to find Anna, where did you go? <laughs> you were guaranteed to find her in the temple. If Anna told you she was going to pray for you, guess what? You could be guaranteed that she was going to pray for you. Uh, people love and they depend on consistent people. So be consistent, not negatively, but positively. Another lesson from Anna is to share what we learn. That was the first burning desire Anna had. The text says she spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. The verb tense tells us, you don't see this in English, but that she continually spoke of him, the Christ child, to all who were waiting for the Redeemer. I don't know, maybe she went around door to door knocking. Did you know the Redeemer is here? It was the one message of the rest of her life. I don't know, you know how long she lived, but the rest of her life, that was her message that God had finally sent the Redeemer as he promised. She also had a holy boldness. Another reason she's called a prophetess. She was not timid in her witness. Now, boldness, holy boldness does not mean that you engage in crazy, off-the-wall, obnoxious, loud, or fire and brimstone type. I mean, that's appropriate sometimes, but you don't have to go out there and put a mattress on and have a thank you Jesus sign in your hand, stand at the corner, you know? You don't have to, most people look at you like, mm -hmm. um, Holy boldness can certainly be done unobtrusively, 
gently, sweetly, compassionately, wisely, but it does involve stepping out of your comfort zone, doesn't it? To share the Savior with others. Also, having a holy boldness for him will keep you from being negative or defeated when people do not respond to you as you hoped they would. Anna recognized what an awesome privilege she was given to testify of the Messiah. That was indeed a privilege. There were likely a lot of people who thought, as she went around town spreading the word, that she was a fanatical, eccentric, poor old widow lady as she lost some of her marbles. But she was far more concerned about the Messiah than what, with what the multitudes thought of her. She truly loved God, and she is one of the most devout people that we find in all of Scripture. fasting. Yeah, it's hard to find someone more devout than Anna. And I think this is <laughs> funny. That's why I teach women and not men. <laughs> Simeon saw the Savior and he just wanted to die. Savior and she wanted to live so she could proclaim him to others right up to the last day of her life. Her at least eight decades of petitioning God in prayer turned to an instant of praising him and then she didn't waste any time. She immediately began proclaiming him. Isn't that great? Petition turned to praise, turned to proclamation. She was a I, I was running out of peas, but she was a pleasant, persistent, prayerful, passionate, productive proclaimer of the word of God. She was a true prophetess and a paragon for us. That means an example. That I had to use a P for us. <laughs> what became of Anna is not recorded. She was undoubtedly in paradise by the time Christ began his earthly ministry some 30 years later. Um, and the, but the day of his, uh, his mother's uh, ceremony there in the temple was probably her one and only glimpse of him, don't you think? Probably never saw him again, but it was enough for her, and she literally could not stop talking about him, and that's something that should be true for each and every one of us, that we can't stop talking about Jesus until the day he calls us to himself and then in great happiness Asher we will see him Peniel Fanuel face to face I got to wondering if remember the day Jesus rose from the dead later that day what happened the graves that had been opened during the earthquake and select saints came out of their graves and we speculated when we studied that they were probably old test or people who got saved, you know, between his coming and his resurrection. And I wonder if Anna and Simeon weren't some of those 
that bodily rose again from the dead, so maybe she lived another 105 years. <laughs> I don't know, but that's just a lot of meat, a lot of thought, right? Okay, now you're going to get to eat. I'm going to have a prayer, and you're going to get to go eat, but let's just start with um, the, the, not the desserts, the food and drink, okay? So, <laughs> the dessert. I know you want to eat dessert first, but... All right, Lord, uh, thank you so much for including these three verses of scripture about Anna, prophetess Grace, because she truly has a lot to teach us today, even though she's been with you some 2,000 years now. And this is why, exactly why your word is said to be alive and powerful. It is living because it impacts people of all generations. She has continued to function as your witness to your son, the Redeemer, even into this 21st century as she has also been an example of us, to us, of how by living for you, we can have satisfaction and fulfillment, peace and joy in spite of circumstances. So help us to understand your absolute sovereignty in all things, even the tribulations of our lives, living in a sin-cursed world where evil abounds and is waxing worse and worse. Help us, Lord, to have an attitude like Anna's, who used the grief and the early tragedy of her life as an opportunity to live wholeheartedly for you. Help us to be like her in that she did not focus on the negative, but her focus was on prayer, fasting, helping, teaching, and studying your word, and waiting patiently and expectantly for your coming. Thank you for her life. Now bless the food to the nourishment of our bodies. Thank you for the women who have prepared it, for we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. And I forgot to